0: The Lord is risen, let us rejoice and be glad. Alleluia. Once again, happy Easter everybody. Uh, What I'm going to do in my reflections this evening is to talk about the structure of the Easter season. Uh, Many of us have experienced this for any number of years in our lives as Catholics, but it's always good to be reminded about some of the basic things about our faith. I'd like to begin by saying that the Easter season was historically created for the neophytes. You know, people, when they began to enter the church, were first designated as catechumens, those who were studying the faith. Before their baptism, sometimes a year or so before, sometimes just a few weeks before, they were chosen for baptism and they were called the elect. And then after their baptism, they were called neophytes. We sometimes use that word in English for a beginner, but the literal translation of the Greek means a young new shoot of a plant that's just coming out of the ground that is very tender and easily destroyed but the beginning of new life. And so the Christians of the early church were encouraged to treat the neophytes in a very special way. First of all, to give them good example because there's nothing more crushing in the life of children and also of new members of our church than the bad example of their parents or the bad example of their brother and sister Christians. And so those of us who are Christians for a long time have the responsibility of giving good example to the neophytes. I don't know if there are any neophytes present in the church today. There's at least one, right? I see her shaking her hand. So you give her a good example. But it's also important for us to look at ourselves because there are moments in our lives when we are also tender shoots right where we are our faith is is um, in some sense at risk or it's tender or it's in danger of going flat and it's important for us to use the Easter season as a time to strengthen ourselves so that we might be strong Christians in the service of the gospel so we have to support the neophytes and understand that sometimes we're still neophytes and we need to re-grasp and begin to study again the faith of the church. The readings that are selected for this for the season of Easter are also chosen for a particular purpose. The first reading is always from the Acts of the Apostles, which is the book of the Bible that contains what the name signifies, the things that the apostles did in the early church, is the history of the church. And the reason why the church gives that history to us is that we might learn from it how to be Christians in our world today. And that's what uh, Easter season about. is about. It's about refreshing ourselves in terms of our commitment as Christians and to give witness to that in the world. So the first reading is always from the Acts of the Apostles. The second reading this year, in this Easter season, is from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, and deals with the persecution of the church in its earliest days. A reminder to us that if we're serious about being Christians, we're going to be opposed by the world around us. And we need to learn that so that we're not shocked by that when it happens, and that we might be prepared for it. know that we might be strong in the face of opposition or even in the face of persecution you know we sometimes think if we do good things good things are going to happen to us but sometimes when we do good things bad things happen to us and that's especially true about being faithful to the teachings of Jesus and his community the church the gospel readings during the season of Easter are from the various gospels, but always tell the story about Jesus's relationship with the apostles after his resurrection from the dead. We might learn from those interactions how the risen Jesus, who is still present in the church, relates to us today, and learn from that relationship how to be his followers. So the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Revelation, and the Gospel stories about the resurrection of Jesus. This Sunday has many names liturgically. Uh, The first name I would like to talk about is the Octave of Easter. An octave is an eight-day period. And The Jewish people when they celebrated the Feast of Passover, and Easter took place at the time of Passover, celebrated that feast for eight days. And on the eighth day, they more or less repeated what they, what they did on the first day of the celebration. And so we have another Easter Sunday, this Sunday in a sense, you know. Re- remembering what we celebrated on Easter and recommitting ourselves to the meaning of that celebration uh, in the week that lies ahead. This Sunday is also referred to as the second Sunday of Easter. Now the choice of words there is very important. It's not the second Sunday after Easter. It's the second Sunday of Easter because as a church we celebrate the Feast of Easter for 50 days. We have eight Sundays in the season of Easter. Beginning last Sunday at Easter and concluding with the Feast of Pentecost, which is 50 days after the celebration of Easter. So, it's important for us to to keep the spirit of Easter going for the many, many days that lie ahead. Also, this is a reminder of the fact that the reason why Christians celebrate The third commandment on Sunday instead of Saturday is because of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the third commandment is to keep holy the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and the Jewish peoples do that by keeping holy Saturday. But right from the very beginning, the Christian community, which was a group of Jews, began to celebrate the most important feast for them on the following day, on a Sunday, because it was a day of the resurrection. So when you sometimes hear people complaining about us, that we're not following the Bible by celebrating the Lord's Day on Sunday. But the church sees that Jesus' resurrection was the transferal of that day of celebration of the new creation of God. You know that the Sabbath was the day on which God rested after the first creation. They saw the resurrection as the beginning of the world again with new life and that God now rests on the eighth day, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So that's why we celebrate our holy day each week on Sunday. This feast is also referred to as Thomas Sunday. And the reason for that is today's gospel, which is the story of the doubting Thomas. You know, that that praise, is part of our English vocabulary today. Even people who don't know the Bible, we've heard of people who constantly have questions as doubting Thomases. But that's based on this story that we heard proclaimed in today's Gospel. And sometimes people think that because Thomas had doubts that he is a weak or even a bad disciple. But if you look at the Bible, you see that isn't really true at all. Thomas, although not too much is said about him in scripture, was a rather extraordinary man. We have the story we heard today about him wanting to make sure that he touched the wounds of Jesus before he believed. He was a doubter up to a point. But the reason he doubted is because he wanted to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It wasn't enough for him to hear that somebody else experienced the resurrection. He wanted to experience a resurrection himself, and to put his hand into Jesus' side, and to touch the wounds in Jesus' hands. So his doubt, in some sense, is an example to us that doubt can be a good thing, if it draws us more deeply into the mysteries of our faith. St. Gregory the Great, one of the popes, said something interesting about Thomas. This is what he said. Our faith owes more to the doubt of Thomas than to the faith of all the other apostles. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I think that the faith of Peter, you know, who proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, is really the rock on which our faith is based. But the Pope is trying to say that because one has doubt doesn't mean one does not have faith. And the example of St. Thomas who moved from doubt to deeper faith is an example for all all of us. Another characteristic of St. Thomas that we, we learn if we study the scriptures is that he was a man of loyalty and courage. You know, Jesus um, was going up to Jerusalem and the disciples were upset about this because there were rumors that people were going to try to kill Jesus. And in response to that fear of his fellow apostles, Thomas said, let us go along and die with him. A willingness to shed his blood because of his loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Now we know that that didn't work because he, like Peter and all the others, fled when Jesus was captured by the Roman soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. But nonetheless, he had a sense of loyalty that expressed itself as a willingness to die because of his love for his Savior. And in that, Thomas is an example to us. You know, to be a serious Christian, to be a sincere Christian, to be a faithful neophyte, means that we need to have the loyalty to Jesus and his teachings that would lead us even to offer our lives in the protection and proclamation of that truth. So we examine ourselves today and ask ourselves, uh, you know, we have the doubt of Thomas for sure, but do we also have his courage and his loyalty and his commitment to Jesus? And another point in the gospels Jesus is talking to his apostles about going to the Father and that they would follow eventually. And in response to that, Thomas said, Jesus, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now He showed himself to be an inquisitive apostle, an inquisitive disciple of Jesus. He was curious, he desired to understand. And that needs to be a characteristic of of those of us who wanna be serious Christians, that we have to be curious about our faith, desiring to know more, and especially to know Jesus' way, and which means the way of life, but also to know the way to Jesus. So this man is an example for all of us of doubt leading to faith, of loyalty, even to the point of shedding blood, and of a desire to understand the faith in such a way that we know the ways of Jesus and the way to Jesus. So on this Thomas Sunday, we say, St. Thomas the Apostle, pray for us. And finally, uh, today's Sunday is also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. The image of Jesus that we see here in the cathedral is the the image that um, Saint Faustina Kowalska experienced in her relationship with Jesus. And that Jesus asked her to have created as a sign of the mercy of Jesus in the life of the church. And in the year 2000, Pope Saint John Paul II declared this second Sunday of Easter to be also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. Now, so we ask ourselves, what is mercy? Mercy um, in Latin. Anybody know what the word for mercy is in Latin? Give you a chance to show your scholarship. Misericordia. And if you know a little bit of Latin, you know it has to do with the heart because the word in Latin for heart is core. "cor Jesu is the heart of Jesus. And what mercy is, is a compassionate uh, love for other people. And a compassionate person is a person who cares for people, not just with her mind, but also with her heart. And we know that Jesus is the image of God's mercy. You now, God has told us through salvation history in the scriptures about his loving mercy towards us. But it's not enough for us to hear the words. As human beings, we need to see something. And we see the mercy of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who is the embodiment of the mercy of God. His love for us, his mercy for us is so intense that he was willing to die on the cross for us. And we celebrate that mercy every time we come together at mass and celebrate Jesus offering himself once again to the Father. In today's gospel, Jesus appears to his apostles on Easter Sunday. The story we heard takes place on Easter Sunday evening and then a week later on the second Sunday of Easter today. And he came upon, among his apostles and his words to them were, peace be with you. And it says he showed them his hands and his side. Now, when people speculate about the experience of the apostles, on that first Easter evening, they said they must have been afraid because they were all cowards. They ran and hid, and even Peter denied Jesus three times. And they probably expect that he was there to correct them. But his words to them were simple words of mercy peace be with you. And then he went on to say, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. The mission that Jesus sent his apostles on was a mission of mercy and forgiveness. And that's the the goal or identity of our church, the church community. We are a community of women and men who are sent by Jesus to be the mercy of God in the lives of others. First of all to receive his mercy but then to be his instruments of mercy in the lives of others in the world in which we live. Now the world is not a merciful world, is it? Just think of our political turmoil these days in our country. The Republicans show no mercy to the Democrats and the Democrats show no mercy to the Republicans. No matter what President Trump does, the other side attacks him but it was true also when when President Obama was our president no matter what he did the other side attacked him you know the politics of our country is a politics without any mercy at all and in some sense the politics of our country reveals the soul of our country and it's so important for us who are Christians to help our country save its soul to move from judgment and harshness to being a community of justice and peace, a community of mercy. And we do that by our words and by the things that we do. So today, as we celebrate the octave of Easter, we ask the Lord to once again show his mercy to us. You know, the opening prayer at Mass today was, O God of everlasting mercy. And we're so grateful for that mercy. We ask the Lord to help us also have the courage to be his ministers of mercy to the world around us. May God bring to completion the good things he begins in our lives today.